What is the Great Commission about if it's not about saving people from hell? It's a question. Isn't that what we are supposed to do? This, the comments have been few and far between, amazingly, on a lot of the things that we've said, but, or I've said, that we've discussed. But, you know, last week was long and a bit controversial for some, which sounds something like this. I mean, what you said basically last week makes believing in Jesus seem completely like unnecessary or optional. Jesus came to this earth to preach the gospel, and that gospel is believe in me or go to hell when you die and be consciously tormented forever. Our entire purpose as followers of Jesus is to save people from hell. That's what it means. That's where the term saved came from. Saved from what? Saved from the fires of hell. Burning in hell versus the good news of the gospel. Those are the alternatives. And that's what we're supposed to do. And anything less than that, whatever cute, fruity, little, wider hope, inclusivity, universalism, whatever kind of cute names you want to throw at, all of that stuff is going to water down the gospel and stop people from getting saved if you take away the fear of hell. That is the gospel. And you're going to be held responsible for it. Each person that goes to hell, saved by your deeds. What is that garbage? Well, let's get one thing straight. You want to inherit the world to come? Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now, we can hold out a wider hope for the world. And as we've demonstrated, there is ample scriptural evidence to hold out a wider hope that God can be just as big as God wants to be when it comes to saving people. But if we're basing our decisions on the words of Yeshua, it is really more, to borrow Dan Juster's term, more than a wider hope, it's a narrow wider hope. It's a narrow, wider hope because there is no great confidence for any of us in this room in standing before the great white throne judgment on judgment day and being judged solely by our deeds. I assure you there is no confidence in that. It's quite possible, though, that, that many, many more people than we could have imagined could be saved in the end. You can listen to last week's message for all of that. We won't go through it. But it is equally possible that many, many, many people will not in the end be saved. Because they have made a choice. And as impossible as it is to imagine that someone would choose to not participate in the world to come, it seems from all of the words and examples and parables, it seems that that could happen. And the words of C.S. Lewis echo loudly when he wrote 
the, seems that the gates of hell are locked from the inside. And by my assessment of the Bible and all that we've talked about for now 13 weeks, actually almost more than half of the year, uh, if you consider the Got Milk series leading into the Jewish Jesus series, which led into the Heaven and Hell series, I mean, we've been doing this a while. My assessment in the end is there is one way to approach the throne of judgment with confidence in your eternal destiny. It's that Hebrews 4 thing. You know, I love people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I boldly march into the throne room and I make my declarations and demands before God and he answers and hears because I'm with Jesus. I don't exactly think that's what Hebrews is talking about. I think that Hebrews is talking about having that type of confidence when you go before the last throne that you will stand before. Maybe the only throne. I've never stood before a throne, but uh, I know we're going to stand before that one. And I think that's what Hebrews is saying when it says, therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we, we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. I assure you, there will never be a more of a time of need than when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as they say. And you have confidence, as Hebrew says, in Messiah. That's for sure. But we just need to say this. It is more than a prayer. It is more than a magic formula. It is more than walking down an aisle. It is more than getting uh, uh, dipped in a tank of water in front of a room of people clapping and taking you out to lunch afterwards and saying, welcome to the family. It is the acknowledgement that there is a creator of all souls, a creator of all things, the God of the universe, that there is a resurrection of the dead, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting punishment. And that punishment we've talked a lot about. And that he, the creator of all souls, the master of the universe, has the power to grant eternal life or destroy your soul forever in Gehenna which is separation from God, not being able to participate in the promises of the world to come. And that punishment lasts forever. It is irreversible. And that he rewards righteousness, this creator, and he punishes sin, and that he has given all power to the judge. And who is the judge the judge is the Son of God, the perfectly righteous Messiah, and that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father with a guarantee unless he says so. And that beyond the faith you place in his faithfulness, part of that arrangement is that he will place within you the desire to produce fruit, and you should do that, because that is the evidence of your decision. 
and that you will demonstrate that faith. Being a disciple of Yeshua is a responsibility, and ultimately, you will receive the crown of life. That is, by one definition, the good news. But in conclusion today, is that all of the good news? Is that the whole story of the good news? With God's help, I think we've learned some things over the last few months. We've learned that that what is, and by is, I mean what you're told you better believe, because this is the way it is, is potentially not what it is. And we've challenged some of those things. We've, we've, we've studied and asked whether, you know, hell and damnation, eternal conscious torment, immortality of souls might not exactly be what we have been told. We've studied the origins of some of those things that would make us question if that really is the way it is. And that's okay. Because I think those things are worth asking questions about. And maybe, 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 just itty-bitty, teeny-tiny maybe, arriving at some conclusions that are different than what you've told is, what you've been told is, and that you better believe. We've learned that the good news is that Yeshua came to this earth so that we could live forever in heaven, in Gan Eden, in the world to come. Not to die forever. He came to save us from that destruction. He came to restore us to our original greatness. Did you know that you weren't created as a filthy piece of garbage that belongs on the top of a dump? You were created in greatness. And Yeshua came to restore that original greatness to you. That you would be a forever participant in the garden. And that is okay. That's better than okay. That's better than good news. That's great news. And we've learned that in the end, God is going to be just as big a God as he wants to be. And there's nothing you can do about it. And what we think he should or shouldn't do or how we think he should determine who merits eternal life or how much grace and compassion gets measured and weighed with judgment and wrath, however much he wants to dole out of that is his decision to make. And that in the end, there are some things that we are just going to have to wait and see. My wife hates surprises. She always wants to tell me what she got for my birthday before my birthday. But sometimes you just got to wait and see. And that's what we're going to do when it comes to the world to come. And that is okay. But most of all, I have to share the most important take-home message from all that's been said. It's about the good news. And the prevalent assumption by too many believers is the gospel is all about post-mortem destruction or afterlife salvation. And that, yeah, mm, there's It's sort of applicable today. There's some little things we could do, like being nice to people and stuff. But but it's really all about then. Now it's uh, minimal. We're here to save people. But what's so interesting in my mind is that is exactly the opposite of what that says, what the prophets say, what the apostolic scriptures say. It's not there like that. It's sort of saying exact opposite because, listen, there is discussion 
of future, of restoration, of kingdom in the words of Torah, the prophets, the New Testament, and Yeshua for sure. And especially we find this sort of future look in the apostolic writings, Peter and Paul. Do you know why? Do you know why there's so much in the apostles writing about the future? The word is imminence. If you read the words of Yeshua, things like this in Mark 9, Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God when it has come with power. You know, there's a lot of really creative ways about how that works and doesn't mean what it says, but to them, they took it literally. And their theory, their idea of Imminence that the return of Messiah was right around the corner and we better be ready for it, informed all of their writings. It's not to say that there's not application for today or future reality, but imminence was driving the way they thought. Waiting for Messiah. Time was short. Judgment was coming. So they wrote about that with certain expectation. And judgment actually did come in a sense, didn't it? The destruction of the temple, the scattering, the exile, death, murder of the Jewish people, time and time again. But let's consider this really, really, really important thing. We are 2,000 years, actually 1992 or so years, past the cross and Jesus isn't here well yes he is he lives in me I'm not talking about that the messianic age is not realized Jesus is not ruling from Jerusalem Yeshua has not come back and therefore this and every word he said must be about much much more than that it must be. And it is. I mean, there is a reason that the Torah doesn't spend time, lots, much of any time actually discussing what's coming. Because God made a decision at that point that he was going to make the life of his people on earth good right then. And that he was going to give them an instruction manual for how to live a life right then and even after. And associated with it were many, many promises. The Torah is good news. Did you know that? The Torah is good news about how to live your life and be blessed. It's not some burden hung around your neck like a horse collar. It's good news. And it's a constitution for life. And Yeshua's message of the kingdom and the words he said were an extension of that. And I want to just read you something. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For with the judgment that you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use to measure, it will be measured to you. Why is it that you see the speck in the eye of your brother, but the log that is in your eye you don't even notice? How can you say to your brother, permit me and I will remove the speck from your eye when the log is lost in your own eye? Hypocrite, remove first the log from your eye and afterward you will surely see to remove the speck 
from the eye of your brother. Do not give the holy to the dogs. Don't throw your pearls before the pigs or else they'll trample them with their feet. Ask, it will be given to you. All of these things that he says here. But listen, so then whatever you want sons of men to do to you, do the same to them for this is the Torah and the prophets. What's he talking about? He's talking about how to live right now. And at the end of the teaching, it says, when Yeshua finished saying these words, the crowd was astonished by his teaching. For he was teaching them as a man of authority, not like the scholars. What were they amazed about? His teaching, his authority? Yeah, and you should be too. Why? That it's so incredibly misunderstood. That should be amazing to you. You should be amazed that people read that the way they read it. I am amazed. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, do what I teach you to do. My commandments in the Father are one. Oh, here comes the legalism. No light switches on Shabbat. Can't drive. Separating milk and meat. Did you hear what I just read you? Did you hear? Yeshua talked about demonstrating that you were a disciple of, your, of, your, of, of him through your deeds, not works of legalism or trying to get saved by your deeds. He just, doggone it, wants you to be a good person. Amen. The rich man and Lazarus was a particularly difficult two weeks for me to stand up here and teach. Because after we peeled back all the layers about, yeah, there's some stuff about the afterlife and we see these images and we see things. But we peeled back the layers and we realized it was talking about the here and now. It had very little to do with what was coming next. In other than the sense that what you do on this side of the grave is incredibly important. And that was sort of difficult as I read through all of these commentaries and all these things. Abraham told the rich man, your brothers have Moses and the prophets. Let them do those things to keep them from your fate. And I had to ask, I had to search my soul and, and say, golly, who am I? How much love and compassion do I really show to my fellow man? I mean, what, what am I doing even to those who may be detestable in the eyes of many, those who I may have absolutely nothing in common with. Do I have a beggar sitting at my gate that I'm walking by every single day while the dogs lick his wounds? And thinking through all the things in the Gospels, the words of Yeshua and what they were saying to me and hopefully to all of you, I saw more and more about the here versus later. And that's not a new realization. I realize that. But, but about other people being such the focus more than yourself. And that's not new either. But you know what? It's really hard in our world to keep that revelation in front of you. That the last shall be first. I did not come to be served, but to serve. All of that stuff, man, it's in there. 
the good Samaritan as an example of kindness, the father of the prodigal son as an example of forgiveness, the story of Zacchaeus. You ever really paid attention to what that little short dude, how that story ends? It ends. He's this nasty tax collector, right? And he climbs up the tree and Yeshua interacts with him. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'm giving to the poor. And I, if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'm giving back four times as much. Listen. And Yeshua said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because he too is a son of Abraham. He brought him back. And he's describing, using the word salvation to describe the goodness in this man's heart and the transformation of his life. That's good news. To restore the goodness of humanity, to encourage kingdom living now, today, right here. Rabbi, we're not good. Not even one. Jesus says that. Right, I get that. And that's why our eternal security should not be trusted to what we might be able to do on our own. But that doesn't change what the good news really is. Repent in the name of Yeshua for the, for the forgiveness of sins, it says in Acts. For the kingdom is arriving in your midst among you. There's more coming, yes. There's a lot more to look forward to. But start right now. Authentic love of God, love of people. This series has driven that message home in so many ways. I hope it has for you to live every single day with faith in the faithfulness of Yeshua and the calling of a disciple on this side of the grave to do good and great things and share good news and have the habit of faith, as we discussed last week, in our deeds. It's a strange thing about habits. Listen, you are what you repeat, James Clear says. You are what you repeat. Serving God, really, I mean, I don't want to sterilize this and make it really boring, but serving God is on some level a habit. It really is. It's, it's, it, and, and a good habit comes from a good identity. Followers of God, true disciples of Yeshua, and indicate their identity in him by their confession, by their deeds. The majority of the message contained in the Torah, the prophets, the writing, and the words of our master primarily pertain to right now. Okay, I think I've driven, beat that absolute thing to death. So here's the last bit of heaven and hell for you. Fear motivates. Fear motivates. But doesn't mean it's a good way to motivate. I, I have uh, sadly used to, eh, probably even still sometimes do, pride myself on the fact that my kids, my kids fear me. Oh, they won't misbehave. They, they know my, my punishment will be swift and complete. Delivered in love, of course. That's not a good message. That is not good news. And we've done the very same thing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of it started, we've talked about Rome and Plato and all those things, but, but really, a lot of this started 
when Constantine decided, we are all Christians now. Doesn't matter if I've like killed four of my sons and three wives. That doesn't matter. Jesus forgives me. We're all Christians now. And all of a sudden, it became incredibly important that everyone in Rome was a Christian, too. And how do you do it? You can scare the crap out of people by telling them that they're going to burn in that platonic hell that you learned about in the mythology. And so it became a control mechanism to bring people into a certain way of believing. Those are the facts. Those are the facts of it. And it went on from there. Come hell or high water, right? We've been telling that story. God loves you, but he will burn you alive forever. You better fear him. And I don't mean that good kind of Jewish, like, awestruck, splendor, respect. You know, I, I don't mean that. I mean, you better be afraid, very afraid. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. He hates you. It's just a little thing that's keeping him from dropping you into the acid fire of hell. Huh. And we miss the real amazing thing. <laughs> we have missed the real amazing thing. Not so much us, but a lot of people. Using, becoming a Christian. I'm going to use the term Christian because it's very familiar and everyone knows it. Christian has a certain, uh, a certain connotation or association that is different than what I am in the fact that I don't celebrate the, Christmas or the Christian holidays, I don't worship on Sunday. But let's use the term Christian or disciple, believer, a follower of Christ. So much has become about becoming a Christian or getting saved or escaping hell when the real focus should be on being one. Being one. And being one is most confidently demonstrated in your confession and your habit of faith in your deeds. That's hard. That was the Torah's focus, the prophets, and the Messiah. And you know what? Regarding the good news and the wider hope and evangelism and proselytizing and missions and witnessing and all that, listen, you just live life well. And you will have ample opportunity to talk to people about now and then. I'm not criticizing missions. I support missions. I support, support world evangelism, all that kind of stuff. But, but nothing we've said changes any of that. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I tricked you. I'm sorry that I told you that this was about heaven and hell and eternal destiny. I'm sorry I took you through all of this information and this history and this theology. I'm sorry I made you reconsider things that maybe you didn't even want to reconsider. And I riled them up and, you know, challenged foundations. I'm sorry I put you through all of these months only to end up here. And where is here? Right back at the center of the good news. Love God. Love people. All the rest, he said, all the rest hangs on these.
You've read that, right? Now, absolutely amazing, and this is actually the conclusion of this message and the conclusion of our series. But I just love this, and I have to share it. The Torah portion is, is uh, well, no, let me do something. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, Blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. You hear that? That's the conclusion of this week's Torah portion. I had absolutely no idea 13, 14 weeks ago that it was just going to work out this way. But it did. And that's the end of it. Choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice. And he says that you'll live life. He's the life, the length of your days in the land. And yes, that's the land of Israel. And I believe it's actually talking about the kingdom too. And I absolutely believe it's talking about the new Jerusalem, the world to come, our eternal hope in heaven which is where we will end up. Our hope is in heaven, it turns out. There's just a heck of a lot to do before that. And that's your calling. That's who you are. And you have the confidence of Yeshua by choosing life. And all that means in this world, we inherit the next. Our priority should be living well here. That is what you know. That is what you can count on. That is what it means to store up treasures in heaven. So listen, the next time we gather, it will be Rosh Hashanah. Monday night begins Rosh Hashanah. Monday, uh, Tuesday is the service where the shofar will be sounded. And the books will be opened. Remember the books? I hope you never forget the books. The book of life, the book of death, and the book of in-between. It starts Monday night. It begins the high holidays, a supremely important, a supremely important time in God's calendar. You can feel it, actually, if you'll allow yourself. It is an amazing time to reflect on what we've discussed. And as Yeshua said, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And at the same time, remember that we are here now. In the words of the famous soap opera, one life to live. We have this life now to impact and affect the world for good. So let's ask Hashem to help us search our hearts and minds for that good let's let repentance, charity and prayer lead us to good and as a fitting conclusion to all that we've said L'shana tova tikatevu v'tichatemu may you be inscribed and sealed for a good year Shabbat Shalom